Uh, hey, everyone, it's Russ, and welcome to another episode of Women's Retirement Radio. Uh, today, I'm really excited to be joined by a friend uh, and local Atlanta attorney, uh, Cherish De La Cruz. Uh, hey, Cherish, how are you doing today? Good. I'm fantastic. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm glad, uh, I'm glad we could jump on and have this conversation. So uh, for those listening that may not be familiar with you, why don't, uh, why don't you start by just telling us a little bit about, uh, about yourself? Sure, sure. So my name is Cherish De La Cruz. I own my own estate planning, um, business succession, and elder law planning firm in um, Atlanta, uh, specifically in the Buckhead area. I'm licensed in both Florida and Georgia. Uh, Prior to me opening up my own law firm, I was um, in-house doing securities compliance and investment. So I know a little bit about uh, Russ's world. And is there, um, I know you just crammed a lot in there, uh, everything from estate planning to elder law. Um, I know you do some other stuff with uh, business and succession planning. Is there a particular type of client or clientele that you find yourself working with, or is it, is it kind of across the, across the board or across the spectrum? Well, um, for me, I work a lot with small business owners and professionals. And usually I work, I would say a, a lot of my clients um, are women um, because they are the caregivers in the family. So I would say the ratio of um, women who are in my practice and who are my clients are probably about 65 to 75%. Uh, 70%. Um, some of them have families, some of them don't have families. Um, but they are looking at the their life um, from different lenses. Sometimes they're a mother, grandmother, business owner, and they have a multitude of needs. So I help them um, with all of their legal needs. Interesting. And you mentioned a lot of the women are caregivers. So do, does that mean that a lot of times you maybe start those engagements doing elder care work, or is that just kind of... Um, experientially a role they fall into and you might be working with them on something else altogether? Um, I tend to surround myself with wonderful, fantastic type A personality women. Uh, Very driven, very successful in their careers, uh, very passionate um, about their communities. And in that role, they've always been the responsible person in their family. So a lot of their caregiving duties um, happens to fall on their shoulders. So they may be the business owner who um, has children of their own and um, is thinking about caring for their parents, but they also want to make sure that they take care of their children as well, too, but also, you know, try to figure out how to manage all of this if they have a busy career, if they're a physician or if they're an attorney or if they're a business owner and and making sure that things are put in place so um, that they can still do their day-to-day things that um, create their income, uh, which is either their career or their business. Got it. Got it. Before we uh, continue kind of talking about the work you do and the services you provide. Um, what's something about you, Cherish, that you think is interesting that maybe most people wouldn't know or be aware of? Um, I think, you know, when they first um, encounter that my clients encounter me, 
um, they don't realize that I've had a very diverse background of experiences, um, uh, not only geographically, but also career wise. So when um, I grew up in Toronto, Canada, so it was a very multicultural environment, very diverse environment. Um, and then my family moved down to Atlanta in 1994. So I've been here for, gosh, a long time, let's just say 27 years. Um, and that informs um, the way that I interact with um, my clients. Uh, additionally, when I first started law school, um, I went to law school at University of Iowa, um, out in the Midwest. And um, then I spent a year as a visiting student at the University of Miami. So, you know, you go from the Midwest to Florida. Um, and originally, when I first got out of law school, I was a public defender. And so I would do a lot of jury trials, um, different, you know, lots of time in the courtroom. And so uh, that has helped me look at things from a litigator's perspective. How can we settle things or do things so that things don't um, go uh, crazy when um, something happens? And how can we prevent litigation? Um, so those are the things that I think about when I do my estate planning. Um, and then I moved up to Atlanta and I worked in-house um, which means I worked for a, a corporation that focused on insurance, investments, and I was on the compliance side. I did that for about seven years. And um, then my aunt, who passed away, was like a second mother to me. Um, I, I helped her with the estate planning process. And, you know, that shaped and motivated me to open up my own law. So all of these different and unique perspectives um, informs how I treat clients, how I care for them, and how I really want to develop a long-term relationship with them. Thanks for sharing all that, Cherish. What what would you say, um, or, or how would you describe what you enjoy most about your work with your clients? I think the, the, the thing that I love most about working with clients is really getting to know everybody's story. Um, just like you, Russ, you know, we do a deep dive into the family dynamics, the financial aspects, and how all of that works together and is interrelated. Um, you know, our our estate planning fund is, you know, a boutique firm in the sense that we try to spend a lot of time with our clients to really figure out what their goals are and how we can make sure that, you know, family harmony is preserved, that the clients don't have a lot of stress when something happens in their life. So inevitably, we're all going to pass away. But how can we make it easier for our loved ones so that they don't have the stress and um, heartache that I know some people experience when they don't have a plan in place? And I think um, I think you may have answered this, but um, from your perspective, what would you say the biggest challenge is that you help people address or solve through your work? 
I think it's starting to have those conversations um, and making it in a way that they feel comfortable that they can speak with me. You know, talking about death and disability is never a fun topic. You know, this is not, you know, something that's fun and exciting, but how we can facilitate, you know, I try to plant the seeds with them. And it's never going to be an overnight process. But the more that we have those continuing conversations with the clients, and then also, you know, encouraging the clients to have those conversations with their loved ones, um, with with their family members, it provides um, peace of mind for the people that they are leaving behind. Um, and if everything, you know, this is just my compliance background, but if everything is ticked and tied, um, when you have a plan in place, it, it's just less stressful for them. Um, you know, the last thing that people want to worry about, especially if somebody's sick or after they've passed away is, you know, trying to figure out what the next steps are um, when everything is in disarray. So we help clients organize their thoughts regarding, you know, their goals and their wishes. We help them organize their documents and prepare documents that um, and, and plans that help them achieve their goals, whether it's, um, you know, things like family harmony, if it's a business, making sure that the business still retains its value, if they... Um, become sick or if they passed away, and then making sure ultimately that the people that they've worked so hard for, that they get the assets uh, when when they should be getting those assets. And um, so it's a timing thing and how they should be getting their assets, making sure that everything is tax efficient um, and that it's the best way to do that. And, And we always coordinate with you know, wonderful people like you, you know, their financial advisors and their CPAs to make sure that everything is ticked and tied. And I'm struck by um, a comment you made. I mean, clearly no one likes to think about their mortality or think about their own death. But um, I think your role in the estate planning process is particularly interesting because not only are you discussing uh, or helping clients confront their mortality, but we're also talking about money, which I think we can all agree is is kind of a largely considered a taboo subject by most folks. So I, I think I'd be interested to get your thoughts, but I think not only is it interesting to facilitate and help guide these conversations around the estate planning process as it relates to death, but also as it relates to your assets and financial situation and things like that. And clearly estate planning is more than just the money. Uh, you need to appoint mm-hmm. guardians for minor children and and address other wishes and things that need to be addressed inside different family structures. But have you ever found in your experience that the combination of both kind of the, you know, let's talk about what happens after I die um, combined with uh, no one likes to talk about money, generally speaking. Um, have you right. found that that's made it even more challenging or have you found some particular hurdles around that or maybe even found some some uh, tactful ways to kind of break through those obstacles to get people to open up? 
Oh, yes, definitely. Definitely. I think having those conversations is an art. So um, just with my varied background, you'd think that my undergraduate degree would have been pre-law or, or something like that. Um, but actually, I have uh, my undergraduate degree was um, part in psychology for the first couple of years and then sociology. And I didn't realize how helpful those things are um, in applying it to these situations. And so what I always tell my clients is, you know, we're going to talk about difficult and challenging things. So I want to mentally prepare them for those um, challenges, you know, because you're right. Nobody likes to talk about money or death or disability. But how can I approach it so that they feel comfortable speaking candidly to me about that? Because I need, like you do, need to know all of the information because it helps me come up with a better plan. And so first and foremost, I try to make them feel comfortable about that process. But let them know that um, we will be tackling these tough topics. And, you know, if it's a couple or if it's a parent or a mother, um, we, you know, I want this to be over a series of meetings. So, you know, first we meet with one another, make sure that you feel comfortable with how I approach things and that you feel comfortable candidly talking to me about these challenging topics. Um, you know, I have a wonderful network. I can always refer you out if you don't feel comfortable. Um, so, you know, that's first and foremost. And then we, we, we try to talk about these things, um, through a process of education. So, you know, some people may not know that, you know, you can't leave, um, assets to a minor child, that it should be left in trust and, and what does that actually mean? So we also use a lot of visual diagrams and depictions so that our client can walk away with a clear understanding conceptually of how things work. And then um, we make sure that, you know, everything that they, their goals and their wishes are embodied in in this visual depiction, which is usually some type of diagram. And then we go over everything with them. You know, I've encountered a lot of clients who come from other estate planning firms and they don't know why they set up what they set up. It was just the suggestion of another attorney or somebody else, but they don't understand how it administratively and how it works process wise. And I find that that can be a challenge because when it actually comes down to it, um, if they don't have someone guiding them, then um, they get confused and um, overwhelmed. And we want to take those pieces um, of stress away from them. That's interesting that you said that about um, working with people that maybe have estate planning documents or structures in place that they've set up with other attorneys and they don't really have a thorough understanding of the how and the why. Um, Sadly, I experience that a lot on my side uh, of the table with people that have worked with other advisors and they have a financial plan or a portfolio or both, and they're not really sure why it's set up the way that it is. So I like that you really go to great lengths to 
uh, explain and educate people, um, use visuals to kind of help them see and, and connect the dots mentally about not, not just what we're going to do, but more importantly, I think why we're doing it. Right. And I'm, I'm really glad you shared about your undergrad study in psychology and sociology. Um, you, you and I think might've discussed this in the past, but I'm, I'm endlessly fascinated by the psychology of how people make decisions uh, and, and perhaps just as importantly, how they don't make decisions. Um, so I think, uh, I think you're right. I, I can only imagine how well that must serve you in facilitating uh, these often probably difficult or challenging conversations with families, um, but, but important conversations that need to happen. So I think, I think that um, I think that's an interesting background that probably rounds out your skill set really nicely um, given the work you're doing. Yeah. And, and I think it's not a static thing as well, too. So I feel like, you know, I'm on my own path of my own personal journey as well, too. So the more I read about personal development, and I know that you and I have had this conversation, and the more I learn about business dynamics, and uh, the more I learn about different facets, they all interrelate. And as I continually grow, I bring those informed perspectives and share um, unique stories or, you know, things that I've learned with my clients so that they can better make those decisions. Um, but, you know, we at our firm, we, we, we continually encourage each other to grow um, and learn about that and how we can best serve our clients. But I think it's also by looking really at ourselves and how we interpret and um, act on our own, um, you know, values, traditions, and everything, and how we can apply that to the client situation. I agree. I think it. I, I think you. I think you said. It. Early in the conversation, that it's it's really an art, and I I couldn't agree more. Um, I think that um, really just you know being being human and talking to people uh, as a human, I think um, I think it really transcends a lot of the nuts and bolts of this is an estate plan, this is a will, this is a power of attorney, et cetera, et cetera, and can really help meet meet people people where they are, which I, I think um, is tremendously important. And um, again, I I think it just is a a credit to the person you are and the, the care um, and passion that you put into the work you do. So uh, I appreciate you sharing all that with us. Um, so I can only imagine Cherish over the years, you've probably worked with, I, I can't even imagine how many clients, but is there a, is there a favorite client success story that comes to mind for you um, as you look back and think about the work you've done? Well, yes, definitely. I mean, I think one of my favorite clients that I worked with um, was a physician couple, and um, they had owned several practices in um, in Georgia. And they first came to me through a referral from a, a judge that we both mutually knew, and I really got to meet the family. Um, you know, develop relationships with. Um, both um, spouses who are both, you know, wonderful people, um, very um, community oriented. And, you know, then, um, you know, I got to meet their children um, as well, too, and then help them. So, you know, that was a long term client relationship whenever they had a need. 
Um, they always call me to, you know, pick my brain. And then um, most recently, I helped them put together a um, some charitable work, um, you know, plans together so that they could, uh, you know, they've been working so hard, but how they can putting together a plan, how they could um, help and give back to the community. So that was one of my favorite success stories. But really, you know, I believe in giving back to the community and I love it when my clients have the ability to do the same um, and that I was involved in that entire process. And seeing their success both um, in their business um, and their uh, personal life is great because, you know, I, I get to deepen these relationships with these wonderful people. Yeah, that's, I mean, that, yeah, that sounds like a, a wonderful example of how you were able to help a, a successful couple and family just kind of magnify the impact of their work and their success uh, into their community through a, a charitable giving plan and some other things like that. So uh, that's a great story. Thanks for, thanks for sharing that with us. What, um, you know, clearly be- between your work as a public defender and then as a, uh, as an in-house corporate attorney and now running your own, o- owning and running your own uh, law practice, what surprised you most about your work over the years, Cherish? I think for me, it is just the genuine um, desire and willingness of people to help one another. Um, so, you know, when I first started out as a public defender, you know, it was great. You know, we had um, some individual, like, you know, the people that I, I formed a strong relationship with a class. Uh, there was a, several of us who went through the public defender program and we developed long lasting relationships. So just the idea of helping the community with that. Um, and then when I was in house, you know, people who were showing me um, and teaching me um, different things. I had no idea about securities or investments or insurance or compliance, and people would be helping me in that respect. And then now with um, owning my own law firm, you know, you shift from technician to entrepreneur. And I have a wonderful network of individuals um, in which whom I can rely on. Um, you know, you included, um, that, you know, ultimately, people will bring you up. Um, And, you know, I've been blessed enough to encounter all of those wonderful people. Um, Because it is tough being an entrepreneur. And, you know, sometimes things don't go your way. But to be able to, you know, have these wonderful relationships, have these relationships help you grow both personally and professionally. And then ultimately, that impacts how you um, give back to your clients. It all comes back to people, doesn't it? Yes, it does. It does. Yeah. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I again, I agree. I think that's why you and I see eye to eye on so many things. But I, uh, I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, both in in kind of a broad stroke, but also kind of in the context of the kind of the three major phases or segments of your career. I think that's very interesting. And, and it's, it's cool to see that common thread of, you know, people, relationships, conversations, helping, um, serving, giving, um, which are all just fantastic. Um, 
What's a, I, you know, I, I don't have to tell you attorneys are often kind of the butt of jokes and, 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 <laughs> and generally, generally have uh, maybe not the, uh, the Best reputation. Um, <laughs> I'll take your word for it. Um, <laughs> so what's a common misconception about your work um, that you'd maybe like to address or dispel? Um, okay. So Yes, I totally agree with you that there are attorneys that, you know, just like anything, there are a few bad apples that ruin it for the rest of the attorneys. Um, The reason why I love the work that I do is because ultimately, I feel like I'm helping someone in the end. And I'm putting their needs first. Um, So I think, um, but but I do, you know, I do find it a compliment when people tell me, <laughs> you're not like any other attorney I've encountered. Um, and so I do view that as a compliment. And not all attorneys are bad. You know, I, I know wonderful, wonderful, wonderful attorneys. But there is this misconception out there that we don't truly care or that we only want the money. Um, but in the situations that where I serve, where, you know, somebody has passed away or we're looking at a business partnership um, uh, or we're looking at elderly parents, um, I think you need to have a heart for it and you need to have um, the ability to be compassionate. So in my particular field, um, even though, you know, there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of estate planning attorneys out there. You know, some of my greatest friends are people in the community who help support, um, who help support each other in our the growth of our firms. Um, so um, that is a misconception, but you know there are good attorneys out there. Yeah, I, and I I want to underline that I um, I, I know a, a ton of really wonderful attorneys. Um, yourself included in, in different, you know, aspects of the legal profession that, that have different types of practices or different practice areas. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I think about when I think of you, Cherish, and, and, and our conversation today just kind of reinforces this, is that you look at you, you, I think you seem to look at things from a very relationship uh, orient, uh, orientation uh, or, or a relationship basis, whereas I think a lot of attorneys, and some of this, frankly, might be um, in part due to the type of law they practice. But I, I think some attorneys are maybe more transactional in nature and um, are less concerned about the person and more concerned about the actual deal or transaction or uh, work they're doing. Um, and I'm painting with a broad brush here um, because there are great professionals in in every slice of the legal community. But, um, but I agree. I think it, again, and I think the if we could apply a common theme to our conversation so far, I think it's just, you know, people and relationships. And and I, that's kind of what I took away from your explanation. And I I think that's, uh, I think that's hugely important in doing good work and um, building relationships and doing it for the right reasons. Oh, yes. Yes. Thank you for that compliment. Yeah. I mean, relationships are the most important to me because what I've learned over the years, um, that is something that you have to work on um, and that you have to grow over time. And it just doesn't happen overnight. Um, But those relationships are enduring. 
um, whether it's with your clients or, you know, just your professional network. And then, you know, once cultivated, um, the facts, especially like in light of COVID, the fact that I can, you know, reach out to these wonderful people who are in my network and to my clients to make sure that they were okay. Um, because at the end of it all, it doesn't matter what, um, you know, what you have, because you can't necessarily take it with you. I mean, it's important to have the stability, um, but why do you do it? You do it because, you know, you want to support your family to have a wonderful relationship, to have the safety and security. Um, and it, it all goes back to that. You, uh, you mentioned COVID. We're, uh, we're having this conversation, recording it, um, on what I hope is the start of a, of, of a steady, steady <laughs> climb too. back to more normal, normal days um, and times. But um, looking back over the last year plus, have you, uh, because of COVID, just because of the state of the world that we've been living in, have you been, have you found yourself working on um, anything different or um, have you been working more in certain areas that you would maybe attribute to the pandemic or attribute to just kind of how people are going about their lives a little bit differently here over the last 12 plus months or so? Yes. Um, no, I mean, yes, definitely. I mean, things have fundamentally shifted and just before we were on um, just how people approach things. So before I had clients who always wanted to meet in person and now because they, you know, have used Zoom to communicate with their children and grandchildren, there's a certain comfort level in doing online uh, meetings, which wasn't there before. Um, and then, you know, unfortunately, because people have experienced um, or seen other individuals who are their friends or their family members, um, ex- you know, experience, um, you know, loss, you know, they, people start to think about their own mortality. And so, you know, I, I have received a lot of inquiries as to, you know, how do I start this process? Um, and people are more quickly to act as before. And I think people understand the importance of it as, you know, we've seen people who maybe didn't have a plan in place and they were impacted by COVID and the stress that they experienced and the heartache that they had to experience because they didn't have those plans in place. So just that's what this past year has happened and evolved in my, in my practice. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And I, I know we were, before we hit record, I think we were, <clears throat> I think we were chatting about how it's just been a, a shift for everyone, you know, um, professional service providers like yourself and, and myself, as well as our clients and, and every, everything in between about how, you know, work has just kind of evolved into something different. It'll be interesting to see what it looks like in another 12 months from now, I guess. Um, right. So based on what you shared earlier about your undergrad in psychology and sociology, I'm really interested to get your thoughts on this. Sure. Um, but, but let's say a college student approached you about getting into uh, the practice of law, uh, whether that's estate planning or, or elder care law or uh, helping small business owners. Um, what advice or guidance would you give, give to them? I think... Um... One thing when I was going to law school um, that I didn't realize until I 
started, you know, having to own my own business was um, the fact that you've got to build relationships and that relationships um, can help you in any aspect. So now, you know, I have two interns that are starting with me this summer. And, you know, I always say, you know, the more people that I can introduce them to, to quality introductions, um, that it's important to have that network that supports you. Um, and then to have mentorship around that, people who are willing to um, offer their help to guide you in that respect. So I try, you know, I, I like to mentor a lot of law students um, in, in that way. And then also, um, one thing is, when I first started law school, um, and there's this philosophy of other lawyers that when you start something, that that's the only thing that you can do. Um, but really, if you are willing to reinvent yourself to learn about another aspect of the law or to do something completely different like corporate, to go on the business side, that you aren't, you know, just because you made one choice the first year of law school doesn't mean that you're set in stone. Um, and that you, if you're willing to do the hard work um, to change that and to explore other areas, then you can do that. Because I think there's this fallacy or misnomer that, you know, once you pick something, you have to do it for the rest of your life. And, and that's not true, especially in the legal field. I, yeah, and I, I, I don't, I can't speak personally having... I've never been to law school or anything like that, but I think that's great advice because my understanding, and, and maybe you could comment on this, is um, law, law school seems to be this uber competitive arena where um, you've got um, you've got these students that are competing for these top tier jobs at these often competing for these top tier jobs at these top tier law firms, uh, and so I think um, just based on talking to other attorneys, I've gotten the impression that it can be very easy to put your head down and put on blinders and, and just focus on a singular goal. So I think it's, I think it's great that you um, introduced the idea of uh, being flexible and being open to change and open to different directions if, if that's what you're called to do. So um, yeah, I think that's, I think that's interesting and, and wonderful advice. So, so thanks for sharing that. Um, You're welcome. So, so this podcast is Women's Retirement Radio. It's, it's uh, you know, ultimately comes down to uh, retirement and related topics like estate planning and the other um, legal work that you provide to clients for women and their families um, in the 50 to 55 plus age range. Um, so I'd be interested, Cherish, um, and I know you're not in this age range, but I, I'd be interested to know uh, when you think of the word retirement, what comes to mind for you personally? Right now, well, so it's changed over time. So retirement before used to mean, um, you know, you're closing a chapter of your life and you're just entering into easy street. But what I've seen lately in my clients who are in that retirement phase is it's just the beginning of a new chapter in their life. So like we've seen in the past year with, you know, um, executive compensation packages and other people who might have lost their jobs, they still have, um, there's a lot of women I know who've started businesses 
um, who are reinventing themselves for the second phase. Um, because people in that age range might not necessarily, you know, um, want to completely retire from work, that, you know, they still want to explore and try and learn new things. You know, I, I know of this teacher who went to go back and get her master's um, and is now getting her PhD. Because in Georgia, I think she was telling me that um, she was uh, eligible for free tuition if you are, I think, 65 or 60 and older, if you're in Georgia. And so it's like, oh, that's amazing. So I think it's a constant retirement doesn't mean that things are over, but really just um, starting a next phase in your life. Yeah, thanks for that. And I, I agree. I think that um, historically, uh, you know, if we go back just a few decades, um, I think retirement was generally like you retire, um, you get a pension, and you hopefully live another 15 or 20 years. And, and that's kind of it. Now, now people are potentially spending as long in retirement as they did working. Um, and right. it's, it's a it's an interesting dynamic and something that I think you've mentioned the word evolve a couple of times in our conversation. It's something that'll continue to evolve and, and can mean very different things to very different people. So I appreciate you sharing that perspective. Um, specifically when it comes to women, what, what do you think is the biggest challenge women face when they're planning for their own retirement? I think it's the lack of financial education or um, stories about money. Um, and I think the way that you handle this with your clients um, and potential clients in, in terms of educating them is key. So there are a lot of successful women that I surround myself with. I'm just blessed to be around them. And one of the, the, challenges that I do see are the money stories in their head. So, you know, this might have been something that they had as a child. Uh, you know, maybe their parents were super conservative, or maybe they didn't have um, a lot growing up, but now they're, they've developed this new wealth, and they don't know what to do with it. So it's important that they reach out to you, Russ, to, to figure that out. And then, you know, this intimidation factor of well, what do I do? I'd rather bury my head in the sand, even though they're quite successful about certain aspects because it can be overwhelming. Um, and um, just, you know, like you said, taboo, you know, but I think once they feel empowered through education and through, um, you know, contacting you, then they can make better informed decisions. Yeah. And it's, um, I, I, I don't know that I could have said that better myself. You touched on a couple of things that I I've written about and, and talk about a lot. Um, you know, we all kind of have our own internal money stories or dialogue. Um, I, I've often seen them referred to as money scripts and you mentioned it, you know, very succinctly that often these, these beliefs that we associate with money, come from early childhood experiences and we can carry them through our lives um, for better or worse. Um, we can develop um, 
I think I think most of our money habits are neutral, but um, depending on how we let them in, in influence our decisions, they can have a positive or a negative impact on, you know, our financial futures, uh, especially as it relates to uh, retirement. Um, so I, yeah, I, I I appreciate you I appreciate you sharing that. Um, I think um, again, I I couldn't agree more. That's uh, that's something I think is really important, and it goes back to something you and I both touched on, which is kind of the the psychology around confronting these important, uh, but not always easy um, discussions or conversations around uh, money or around, um, you know, estate planning and, and things of that nature. So they're important, um, but that doesn't always mean they're, they're easy to have, but um, I, I think they're, I think that does not diminish their importance um, despite that. Um, and the great thing about you, Russ, that I like is you do it from a non-judgmental way. So, um, and, and I think that's what people need and that they want. There is no judgment in the actions that you've taken before. Um, and, you know, what can you do to remedy them and correct them or improve? Um, and so because they might have issues around shame or, you know, their own money scripts, that it can be challenging. But if somebody is like you is willing to listen to them and really hear them out. It, it makes a world of difference. Yeah. And thank you for saying that. I, um, I agree that, you know, at the end of the day, uh, what's led you to this point is water under the bridge. Um, we can use our past to inform our future, but it's not something that I, I mean, I'm clearly, I'm not a therapist. I'm not someone that wants to <laughs> dig, into, dig into anyone's past and analyze it and, and try to make, sense of it. Um, I think it can be instructive to look at our past decisions to maybe help us make better, uh, more informed decisions in the future. Uh, but you're right. I, I think uh, whether it's financial planning or estate planning uh, or um, anything um, relating to money and, and wealth, um, I, I think that um, I think it I think it's helpful to all parties involved not to bring a a judgmental perspective or a particular bias to the table um, because that, I don't know that really serves anyone. Um, so Cheris, as we start to wrap up our conversation today, we've talked about a ton um, and I, I really appreciate you taking the time to have this conversation with us and share with our listeners. How, how would you say that your work um, impacts women and their families as they plan for or transition into their own retirements? So, you know, Fundamentally, if for women um, who are approaching retirement, if they don't have the necessary legal documents in place, so I'm talking about, let's say, a financial power of attorney, uh, which is something that is, you know, helps you pay your bills when you're unable to, um, then, you know, then it results in a conservatorship and the court gets involved and you have the court making financial decisions on your behalf and the court or a judge doesn't even know you. So something that it seems difficult in the beginning can become even more of a bigger problem. So really just, you know, you know, because the more likelihood of you, you know, getting sick or needing some help or um, needing someone to, you know, do things for you temporarily, that can be a big thing. Um, and then, you know, God forbid, if you pass away, just not having those things um, 
carefully thought out with someone can leave your family who may be relying on you financially um, to not have all of the assets that they need um, when they do need them. Yeah, and I, I think that's, uh, I think those couple of examples are really interesting because, um, you know, women typically live longer. Um, mm -hmm. So they need to be prepared for, um, you know, if they are um, on their own or if they do encounter disability or health issues and aren't in a position to make um, decisions, financial or otherwise, on their own. So clearly that speaks to the need to have a durable power of attorney in place. Um, but you're right, just, just because, statistically women live longer. That doesn't mean that, that you, uh, if you're listening to this will. And so you need to also make sure that you're, you're kind of prepared for the worst uh, in the event that you don't uh, live out a, a full, a full life and get to enjoy uh, all the things you've planned on. Um, make sure that the people that you leave behind are, are well prepared or well cared for and, and prepared. Um, yeah. And just one thing I want to say as a woman myself, um, we, there's a lot of, people that I know that are women, um, that are mothers, um, that we are worriers. Um, we tend to worry about things. Um, and, you know, it, it really does give you peace of mind to close that open loop. And so I like to think of estate planning as closing part of that, one of your open loops. So, you know, at night you can fall asleep and know that, you know, God forbid, if anything happens, if you get sick or if you pass away, um, that things are done and you can just sleep better. I'm glad you mentioned that because I've, I've gotten that feedback from my clients that have, have actually gone through the process. Um, some of whom have worked with you, uh, you personally that have said they just feel such a burden lifted or, or a sense of peace of mind, just having that kind of big piece of their financial life checked off. So um, I'm glad you mentioned that. I, I, I think that's, I think that's important. Um, in addition to making sure your wishes will be, you know, carried out uh, once you're no longer around. Um, Cherish, um, I know you're busy. You've got a, you own and run a law practice, our, our law firm. You've got, um, you've got relatively young kids at home. Um, but when you've got an hour or two to yourself, um, assuming you do have an hour or two to yourself uh, from time to time, <laughs> how do you most enjoy spending it? Um, I like being outside. I, I think um, COVID and uh, last year has really developed the, 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 the secret gardener within. And so I love gardening now. And so it brings me joy to raise tomatoes and have fresh cut because I love cooking as well, too. So just having fresh vegetables on the table, especially this time and, and spend this Memorial Day weekend, you know, really prepping my garden and getting everything set for the summer. What's uh, what's something you uh, what's something you've grown in your garden and have taken to the dining table that you've been most proud of? Um, we have some amazing tomatoes. Yeah. So, uh, yes. Yeah. So I'll have to bring you some the next time I see you. Um, <laughs> I think they start, you know, bearing fruit in thirty days. So we'll have to get together then. Um, but just fresh tomatoes are the best. That's awesome. So, um, listen, this has been a great conversation. We could probably talk easily for another hour or two, but, um, in the interest of time, um, if there, if there were one thing that our listeners could take away from our conversation today, Cherish, what would you want that one thing to be? I, I want you to just, you know, if you don't have a plan in place, 
you know, please feel free to reach out to me or another estate planning attorney and just start the conversation. It doesn't have to happen overnight, but really I believe in protecting yourself and your loved ones um, because it's just important. And so reach out, ask a question um, and, you know, just start the process. Well, I think that's a great place to, I think that's a great piece of advice and a good place to wrap things up. Um, Cherish, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you if, if they'd like to reach out and discuss their situation or if they'd just like to learn more about you and the work you do? Sure, sure. Um, uh, my phone number is 770-637-8813. And that is our office line. And you can reach me at Cherish, C-H-E-R-I-S-H, at D-E-L-A-C-R-U-Z, delacruz-law.com. And my website is www.delacruz-law.com. We'll be sure to include all of those links and your number in the show notes for this episode. Um, so people can, you know, find you and get in touch. Uh, Cherish, this has been fun. I, I always enjoy, uh, you know, speaking to you and catching up and hearing what you've been working on. And um, I, I thank you so much for, for joining us and, and sharing your, your expertise and your wisdom with our listeners today. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And I'll, we'll, we'll have to plan a date for uh, getting you those tomatoes. I will, uh, I will take you up on that. Um, okay. And for everyone um, out there, again, it's uh, Russ Thornton. Um, thanks again for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of Women's Retirement Radio. Thanks. It's Russ again. And before you go, I want to provide a brief disclosure. You should consult a financial advisor familiar with the specific circumstances of your unique financial situation before making any financial decisions. Nothing in this broadcast constitutes a solicitation for the sale or purchase of any securities. Any mentioned rates of return are historical or hypothetical in nature and are not a guarantee of future returns. I'm a financial advisor and an investment advisor representative of Wealthcare Capital Management, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor based in Richmond, Virginia. The views discussed in this podcast are my own and may not be consistent with or represent those of Wealthcare Capital Management.